Well, good morning. I have a question for you to start out with. Have you ever heard someone say that I'll, I'll never be done with Jesus, but I'm done with the church? Or maybe you've met somebody who, uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, they look like a really, really, really deep, uh, spiritual, great Christian person. Uh, and, and they know the scripture and they have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and, and things uh, about Christianity. But when you ask them about the church, they go, I don't go to church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. They don't go hand in hand and they come up with all these reasons or excuses why you can be a Christian, but you don't have to be a part of the church. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that, but most of the time, when you meet people like that, maybe they've been burned by church leadership, maybe they feel used, maybe they, they don't like or trust the people in the church because they know them outside of the church. For, for whatever reason, there's lots of different reasons, but uh, this idea has gotten particularly popular among the millennial generation. This idea that you can be a Christian without being connected to the local church. You know, there's this desire for authenticity, uh, authenticity with Jesus and authenticity with each other. And so it's caused this kind of kickback against, against the church, against organized uh, religion maybe or organized church. And so they say, give me Jesus, give me lots of Jesus, I love Jesus, but don't give me the church. Right? They, they, they believe that the church, for whatever reason, is fake, or it's stiff, or people don't want to be real, or they just care about the rules, or whatever the case may be. And so they, they argue, the argument is that we, what we need and what we want and what we desire is organic growth. Right? Growth that happens supposedly outside of organized religion. And so, here's the thing. While we appreciate the desire for authenticity, right? We give a tip of the hat to the desire to be authentic. It doesn't work. Because you can't love Jesus without submitting to his word. Right? Jesus says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he'll do what? He'll keep my word. In John 15, 9, the passage that Pastor Tim looked at last week, Jesus says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right? Jesus is the founder of the church. In Ephesians 2.20, it says that he's the cornerstone of the church. He loves the, the church. Ephesians 5 talks about how Jesus laid down his life for the church. Right? Matthew 16, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The point is you can't separate Jesus from the church. And so while we're all for organic relationships and growth, organic farmers still plant in rows. Don't they? Organic farmers still plant in rows. And so as the church, we have structures and we have leaders and we have systems that support authentic relationships and that support the gospel ministry. And that's what we're talking about in this series, this series of the trellis and the vine. And last week, Pastor Tim kicked off our two-week stewardship series. And if you missed it, 
then right now you're walking in halfway in the middle of a movie. You just walked in. You have no idea what the first part was about. So let me encourage you right now. When you get home today, go download the podcast and listen to it. And get. But I will catch you up just a minute. We're talking about the trellis and the vine. You say, well, what are you talking about? What's the trellis and the vine? Well, the vine is the gospel ministry. It's the relationships that we have in the church. It's all the stuff that we love about being a part of the body of Christ. But then you also have the trellis, right? And it's the trellis is the aspects of the church uh, that are present to support the vine. So it's the systems and the committees and, and buildings and, and all of these different things. And listen, I'm no master horticulturist or gardener, but in my understanding of trellises and vines, if you want a vine or a plant to flourish... Both have to be healthy. In order to have a healthy vine, you've got to have a healthy system and a way to cultivate the spiritual growth and to cultivate vine growth. And so last week, Pastor Tim looked at John chapter 15. He looked at the first part of John 15. If you look in your Bibles, if you turn your Bibles on or you can flip in your Bibles to the first part of John. In John chapter 1, uh, Pastor Tim, the big question was why... Should we love the trellis, right? Everyone loves the vine, but can you love the trellis? And so he laid out the principles for why we should love the trellis. And in John 15, 1, Jesus tells his disciples, he says what? I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And if you were here, we looked at this idea that we should love the trellis because order and structure reflect the identity and the values of of the vine dresser, that order and structure reflect what God the Father values. And if you're, uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about in Sunday school. If you've been in one of our classes that's going through the gospel project, if you're not, I'm not trying to pull you out of your class, but if you're not in a class, go to one that's doing it. It's phenomenal. It's great. We're walking through all of Scripture, and we just finished up Genesis. And if you look at the beginning of Genesis, right, the creation story, the creation account, shows us that God values order and structure. All right, so now you're called up midway through the movie. Welcome to part two of our stewardship, uh, stewardship campaign services. And the big question we're asking this morning, if last week we were looking at why we should love the vine, excuse me, why we should love the trellis. This week, we're asking the question, how do we love the trellis? How do we love the trellis? And we're picking up in John 15, starting in verse 12. Hear God's word this morning. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in in the name of my Father, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Pray with me, please. Our Father and our King, would you open our hearts this morning? 
Show us through your word how to love you and love each other and love your church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verses 12 through 17 that we just read are part of Jesus' last words to his disciples, and they are loaded. This whole part of John chapter 15 is absolutely loaded. And 12 and 17 go hand in hand with the previous verses. And so again, as I said, if you have your Bible, look at starting in verse 4, because there's this concept that we have to get before we, we unpack 12 through 17, and this idea of abiding and what it means to abide. And if you look at verse 4 of John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we have this concept of abiding. And the word literally means to make your home in me, is what Jesus is saying. Make your home in me. He's calling us to make our home in him, to be one with him. And he calls us to bear spiritual fruit, but he is very, very clear that spiritual fruit and spiritual growth only happen as an overflow of abiding in Jesus. It's one of the most powerful verses. When we were in Mexico this summer uh, as, with our student ministry, we took a mission trip down to Mexico, and this was the theme of our mission trip was this idea of abide. And what does it mean for the gospel to permeate every aspect of our lives? What does it mean to really abide in Jesus? And as we learn how to abide in Jesus, how does that affect the way we do church, the way we do finances, the way we do relationships and friendships and school and parents and all of these other things? What does it mean when we really connected with, with Jesus, when we make our home in Him, how does that affect the rest of the way that we do life? And that's what we talked about this summer, and that's what Jesus is pointing to, is that we are dependent upon Him. And we don't like being dependent. Right? Think about all the milestones that we have in lives are milestones of what? Of independence. Right? You walk, and then you talk, and then you drive, and then you go to college, and then you get married, and then you're working for what? Financial independence. Then at some point you start to regress and people have to start caring for you again. Uh, but it's a hard concept. And what Jesus is saying is, abide in me. Be dependent upon me. And dependence is hard, but dependence is the heart of the Christian faith. And dependence is the heart of the gospel. And then in verse 10 in, in John 15, he says... This is how you abide. He says, how you abide. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And so Jesus is, is saying this is the secret. Now, it's not a if you don't, then you won't. But the desire to keep my commandments comes when you abide. And they go hand in hand. So obedience is a massive factor into how we abide in God's love. And that, picks, that brings us to where we are this morning. In verse 12, is that Jesus then gives us those commandments. He says, if you obey those commandments, and in verse 12, he tells us what they are. And this is what he says. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone laid down his life for his friends. Powerful and yet simple. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so Jesus says the way that we abide in him is what? By loving one another. And it's pretty straightforward. You want to abide in me? You love one another. So one of the ways in which you abide in me. But then the call to love is also motivated by love. And that's the second principle that we see from this passage is that the call to love is motivated by love. Sacrificial love. He says, obey my commands, love one another. How? As I have loved you. Go on loving. Be in a constant state of loving one another as I have loved you. And so it's a love that flows first out of Christ's love for us. That he laid down his life for us. It's a love that flows out of the gospel. And what we hear in this passage are echoes elsewhere in scripture, aren't they? Because you think back to Mark's gospel, right? And when Jesus was approached by one of the religious leaders, and the guy asks him, what's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? He says, love God. And the second is what? Love others. Right? Sums up the, the Christian doctrine in two things. Love God and love others. And John gives us the key for loving God and our neighbors and others this morning. You think back even, even in 1 John, same John writing, 1 John, he says what? We love God because he first loved us. Right? Paul says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're called to love God. But it flows out of the fact that he has loved us first. And then we're called to love others. And in verse 12, he says, love your neighbor because I have loved you. You see, the gospel is our motivation for loving God and others. And so when we look at Christ's perfect life and his brutal death, all for love, also that we could have a relationship with God, then the ice around our hearts begins to chip away and begins to melt. And the more that we grow in the understanding, in our understanding of God's love for us, of the sheer beauty of the fact that what Brennan Manning says, that Jesus is crazy about you, that our hearts begin to long to show that same love to others. You think that's a powerful idea, especially if you're married or dating or engaged, and you remember being crazy about the other person. Hopefully you're continuing to grow in your craziness for the other person. But you all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen an engaged couple? They don't, they don't think. I mean, they just, they've lost their minds, you know? Like they just forget stuff. They talk nonsense. They, they, they're late to places. Oh, I don't know. You know, they just, that's what it's like because they're crazy in love with the other person. And they're crazy in love with the fact that somebody loves them back. That was my case. I can't believe this. Uh, But Jesus is crazy about you. And the more that we grow in that and believe that, we want to extend that to other people. 
And But if you look at this passage, it's who are we called to love? Where is this love to be expressed the most as followers of Christ? The church. It starts here. It starts in the church. Look at who Jesus is talking to right here. He's talking to his disciples. Love one another. He's calling his disciples to love one another. And so as disciples and followers of Jesus, we're called to first and foremost love one another. And I'm not, this is not saying don't love your enemies or, or don't love other people around you or love other people in the world because Jesus does say that other places, but it starts with loving our fellow believers. And so as we grow in God's love for us, and our love for God, then we begin to love each other. And it produces spiritual fruit. And I think when the body of Christ is loving each other well, it is one of the most powerful aspects of the Christian faith, especially to a non-Christian. I remember when I was on staff with a college ministry called Campus Outreach, and I was serving on staff at NC State, and I had several other guys. We were all single at the time, and and, uh, we were working together at NC State, and remember, we befriended this, this group of guys, and we're all from Wilmington, North Carolina. They'd all gone to high school together, and they all hung out together still. And uh, So we began getting to know them, and the more we got to know them, we played basketball with them, we spent time with them. Uh, they, we let them know us, they let uh, us know them. And the, the greater our friendships got, something started happening. These guys started wanting to study the Bible together, and a few of them came to know Jesus. And I remember playing basketball with this guy Jeb one day. It's a good North Carolina name, Jeb. Uh, and Jeb, uh, he and I were playing basketball one day, and I started asking him, and he, he essentially told me right there on the basketball court, he said, hey, man, I want to I, I, I trust Jesus to be my Savior. I'm like, sweet. Uh, and he did. We literally just walked on the basketball court, like around this curtain and prayed together. It was awesome. But I said, why? I know that seems like, why would you ask that question? Like, why? That's a happy moment. Don't ruin it, DT. Well, I wanted to know what was going on in his heart. And so I said, Jeb, why? What is it that is attracting you to Jesus? And Christian, he goes, man, I'll tell you what it is. He goes, I watch the way that you interact with each other. And he was talking about the guys that I was working with. And he goes, you guys have something that I don't have. You have it personally, and you have it in your friendships with each other. And there's something really cool about that. And what you've got, I want. And as I realize the power of the body of Christ loving each other. And why it's so crucial. And why it's so important. The body of Christ is a powerful thing. And the world is watching. You know, the world is watching after this election season. And we have brothers and sisters that we disagree with over politics. And we have brothers and sisters of color that who have hurt feelings. And uh, I challenge you this morning that, that one of the worst things you could do is psh, get over it, move on. Because that's not love. That's not empathy. But sit down and listen. Listen to the hurt. And fight to understand each other. What a powerful, powerful, powerful message that sends as the church for us to reach out and reach beyond ourselves and reach out to those who we may disagree with but we love and figure out how to work together and figure out how to love each other better. And so we're called to love each other 
within the church, but how then do we love the church? How do we love the trellis? And there's three things that we like to, to talk about around First Pres as, as ways that we connect with God and connect with each other. And it's worship, grow, and serve. Worship, grow, and serve. We gather each week on Sundays to celebrate God's work in our lives, to give Him the glory and honor to do His name. We hear God's Word. We sing praises. We give of our tithes and our offerings. And it's an opportunity that we have, as Pastor Tim said earlier in the service, to to pause throughout the normal week and to connect with Jesus. But then we set aside time to grow together as well. We seek to do life together, to have authentic community, to love each other well. And so we have Sunday schools, we have small groups, and we have different ways for you to connect and different avenues for us to plug in and, and grow together. To grow vertically and to grow horizontally. To grow in our relationships with Jesus and to grow in our relationships with one another. And then the third one is serve. It's to serve not because we have to serve, but because we get to serve. It's to give of our time, to give of our energy, to give of our financial resources because of what God has done in us. And because we want to continue to see God work and move in our lives and the lives of those around us. And you think about those three things, worship, grow, and serve. And it's interesting that the way that we love the church is the same way that we grow to love one another. By worshiping together. You say, how do I grow in in love? Worship together. Grow together. Commit to grow together in community serve together. And those three things create and cultivate a heart and a love for the church, for the individuals in the church and for the institution. And some say, well, the church is not church is not a building. Well, you're right. But if you have a building, it works both ways. Because in one sense, it's not just about the building. And sure, there are people that can get really hung up on buildings and people that can get really focused and hung up on lots of other trellis duties and committees and meetings. And and we can get really focused on trellis duty and even at times make it too important um, and miss the vine duty, miss relationships and miss spiritual growth. And so while the church is not a building, we have to take care of the buildings because we're called to do so. Because it's where we meet as a church. And so by caring for the trellis, for the systems and the structures that we have in place to continue to facilitate good vine growth, we care for the vine. And so this morning, as you've prayed through your 2017 commitment, look at the church. Look at the vine. Look at the trellis. And in the same way, think about the areas of worship, of growth, of serving. Where else can you dive in deeper? What other commitments need to be made to not just stroke a check or not just show up, 
But how can you grow deeper in your worship? In engaging your heart with the risen king. Where can you grow deeper in growth? In your commitment to growing. But it won't, and it won't be alone, I assure you of that. But growing not just with the Lord and yourself, but in community. And then deeper into serving. In your time. I know everybody's busy, but we do what we want to do. Where can you give deeper? What's holding you back from going all in with Jesus and his bride, the church? My challenge this morning is, if there is something holding you back, take it to the cross. Wrestle with God over it. Open that wound and allow the Holy Spirit to bring in healing. Allow the gospel to bring about healing and repentance. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us move deeper into our love for God and our love for each other. Ask the person who brought you this morning, Pastor Timmer, I would love to talk with you or any of our church leadership if there's something that God is stirring and moving in your heart and you want to talk to somebody. But where can you go deeper? Where can you go all in? Because loving Jesus is loving his bride, the church.